Welcome to the Adventure Life Podcast, where we are finding adventure in the God of every day. And now your host, Will Ratcliffe. So last week on the Adventure Life Podcast, I had guest Arnita Willis-Taylor on the show, and we talked about disruption, what it means to be a disruptor. And this idea of disruption is so relevant when we're talking about our journey in the adventure life. And I really had no idea the direction this topic of disruption would go last week because I typically don't prepare a ton of questions. In fact, I had told my wife, I had a podcast interview. We were sitting down at brunch at a local restaurant that morning before. She asked me if I was prepared or if I had sent Arnita the questions. I just told her, no, I wrote down a few ideas, but I really just want it to be more of a conversation, be more organic. And she said, I would be sweating in my pants right now if I did that. By the way, that's one of my wife's sayings, sweating in my pants. Um, long story, but she's known for her funny sayings, also for missaying cliches. Her most famous one is, that's like the cat calling the kettle black. Think about it. She's so pretty, though. Hey, everyone. I'm Will Ratliff. This is the Adventure Life Podcast, and I'll probably be sleeping on the couch after my wife hears this tonight. Or if you want to offer me a space at your house, please email me your address and phone. Let me know what a good time will be to show up. Uh, I'll let you know when I need it. Thanks. Actually, no, my wife's very gracious and she laughs at herself as much as anyone. So we have a lot of fun. So I typically work on one po podcast at a time and record the week before they air. I just don't have a lot of extra time to work ahead, but I was so pumped up after the conversation I had with Arnita Willis-Taylor. I had to get some thoughts down almost immediately afterwards because I know they would be lost or just not as fresh. It, by the way, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would definitely recommend it. Go and listen to it. It's really, really good. And actually, this you know part of this podcast won't make a lot of sense until you listen to last week's podcast with Arnita. So that one's episode number 10. This is episode number 11. But back to the relevance and the marriage of the idea of disruption and the adventure life. I really believe that if you're not open to disruption in your life, then you're not probably on this adventure life, or at least maybe not open to it, not really. You might be existing or maintaining status quo, but you're not ready for really moving beyond it much. And you're not seeking out adventure when it comes to your faith. And that's not a judgment. It's just, you know, it's just my perspective, my opinion. And I think much of the time people are okay with where they are spiritually. A lot of times they're content to be, you know, spoon-fed or they're content to be fed by someone else, pastor or teacher, as they sit in church, a church service or program instead of seeking out what Father has for them on their own. And again, there's no... There's no judgment in that, but, um, you know, those people that do start that journey, though it's, you know, at times they kind of, they stumble around a bit because they haven't really been taught how to pursue that part of their spiritual life on their own, other than reading your Bible, you know, you know, those things, reading your Bible, go to church, go to your small group. And I don't think the church as a whole is really good at helping people engage Father on a relational level, learn to really hear from Him and respond to the ways He invites them and us into this divine life. And you don't have to see faith as some grand adventure to be growing in your faith. So that's one perspective. It's the perspective I choose to take because I think, you know, for me, it's been, the, it's been the reality. But even if you're growing, you know, however you're growing, God will introduce disruption into your life and faith journey. And so being open to disruption means that there will be disruptions. If you're not open to them, then you're, not, you're either not going to see them a lot of the time or you're just, you know, you're going to miss them. And it doesn't even mean that they're not there, but you might just be 
oblivious to them. So God's not going to force you to work with him or join him in what he's doing, but he's always inviting us, I believe, into those things. And if you're open to what he's doing and how he's moving, there are going to be those disruptions. And there might be a lot of disruptions, you know, whether they're big disruptions or little disruptions. A lot of times they're just going to be these little disruptions throughout the day. And if if you're not open to these disruptions when they come, because they'll still come. Um, it's not that God's not moving around you. It's just that, you know, if we're not open to that, then we're not really going to see that. So you, you'll, And then you'll probably see them more as annoyances and hindrances rather than as the gift of growth that they really are. So if you're going along just fine in your life or think you are and there's a disruption, chances are those disruptions will trigger frustration and anxiety, not, not necessarily a sense of wonder and a realization that God may be behind that. So following nudges that we've talked about before, too, is disruptive. If you're open to Father moving in your life, He's going to disrupt it. And that's not a bad thing. He just will. It's not because He wants to ruin your life or make your life miserable or frustrating. In fact, it's quite the opposite. As He invites us into His life, the divine life, it's on a different, it's on a different plane. It's on a different level than our finite minds can usually see. So He has to teach us how to think differently and hear differently and walk differently and see differently. He invites us into these disruptions so we know how to love others, and a lot of times to love ourselves. So every time you feel a nudge, that's a disruption. You have to choose to engage it, or you can also choose to ignore it. Either way, it's going to be disruptive. But as Arnita mentioned last week, and we talked about, sometimes those are just an internal disruption, or at least begins that way. And then once you choose to engage in that nudge, then it becomes an external disruption, Because typically God has us engaging with someone else, with other people, whether it's loving them, encouraging them, inviting them to coffee or dinner, or just interacting with them in some way that moves them closer to his love and his reality. And as God invites us into this different reality, his reality, there are all kinds of ways that our faith gets disrupted. And in my experience, experience, there's hardly anything that doesn't get touched by that disruption. Like we talked about last week, if we are growing in our faith, there's going to be that, those disruptions, whether it's internal or external. And oftentimes, it'll, it will be both. It'll start out internal and then move to the external. So for me, like Arnita, many of these disruptions start, start out internally. As I've mentioned before, a lot of my faith has changed over the years. There are a lot of things that I believed when I was younger that I just don't believe anymore. And those things started out as internal disruptions. Someone would ask a question or pose a different way of believing or looking at something. And sometimes there was... At the time, you know, an outright rejection. I was like, no, that's not, you know, that's not what that means. That's not what that says. But then other times there were just questions that started forming, and those definitely turned into internal disruptions. And sometimes the things that I totally rejected, the outright rejected in the beginning, started, I started thinking more and more about. And those things got me thinking, questioning, and exploring. I wouldn't say necessarily doubting God, but they would, they would, they would get me to doubt what I, you know, what I believe or why I believe what I believe. And so many of those internal disruptions ended up becoming new beliefs or changed beliefs. I also want that to scare you off and start thinking, heck no, I don't want God to disrupt anything now. Those changes in my belief, you know, have taken years and years, sometimes decades. And they weren't huge disruptions. They were these small disruptions over a period of years that just continued to move me into a different space and different way of looking at things. And that's the thing, too, when we talk about disruptions, there are, you know, again, there's small disruptions and big disruptions. Just as I talked about in the very beginning, the very first podcast with the whole idea behind adventure. Adventure is really just experiencing something new, and it could be a new route that you take to drive to work. 
or going shopping at a new store. But there are also bigger disruptions and adventures like you know, changing jobs or careers or even moving to a new town. And so, you know, our lives are full of these disruptions. And then learning to see these as adventures and welcoming them into our lives will give our lives a more, I, th- I think, you know, more positive outlook and create a bit more excitement and fun in our journey. So I have to deal with disruptions even doing this podcast. Some are little, just literal disruptions while recording, like a dog barking or my dog, you know, scratching and cars zooming by or fire trucks, sirens blaring. But there's, you know, there are also disruptions in my schedule or things I've been thinking about doing. I have a list of ideas that I wanted wanted to do in the beginning. And I've been able to do quite a few of those, but then there are also weeks I may be planning one thing, but something doesn't work out or something else comes up and and then so... I end up doing something else. Like this week, I was just really just planning on talking about disruption and feedback on disruption, but we received something in the mail, something really interesting this week that I thought was both kind of amusing. It was good material for a podcast. It was a little, yeah. Um, I have a friend that talks about a yuck meter and my yuck meter kind of really, it really pegged my yuck meter because this piece of mail was, it was actually sent to my wife and I have no idea why. It was, it was actually an offer to get an angel medallion and you get, but then also there's like this blessing that comes with it. It came with this prayer rug. Uh, now I know you're going to be beating down my door to get your hands on one of these, but sorry, it's too late. We already got it. No, I'm just kidding. Even though it said not to shred up, my wife actually tore the envelope and its contents in half. I know that's not technically shredding, but I'm guessing there, there goes the blessing that you're supposed to receive. Or maybe now that's in two pieces. Maybe we get a d- double portion. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I'll try to tone the down the sarcasm. So these things, you know, actually do concern me in a way because people act really buy into them. Otherwise, they wouldn't take the time and money to send these out. You know, it's curious because inside the envelope that talks about the angel medallion, it's actually this printed picture of a rug they call the prayer rug, and then an article where someone allegedly used this rug to gain a significant sum of money. And you know, so I'm already skeptical. Um, this is where I get a bit more skeptical, but I, you know, I'm, I'm a little curious too as the purpose of this letter. So, typically in a lot of the, these situations, they're asking for money. Um, it doesn't ask you to buy the angel medallion. It does, or you know, or the prayer rug or anything. It's actually, you know, it's there. The medallion's not there. You have to send this back in to get the medallion. It does say the church that this is from will pray with you. But uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the answers to prayers or things to pray for are material. So whether it's a new car, a better job, or house, or a certain sum of money, you know, they volunteer to pray with you for those things to get those answers. You know, there's also more intangible prayers, and I'll give them credit for that, like a um, closer walk with Jesus, praying for your children or someone else. And then this brings up a big question. You know, what do you believe about prayer and its purpose? The way it presents God in a lot of this material is that he's more like a magic genie where you just rub the lamp, kneel on the prayer rug, and poof, God will answer your prayer for money, a house, a car, and more. Only you don't even have to rub the lamp. You just use the prayer rug. This letter, it actually does say you're supposed to either kneel on the rug or at least cover your knees with it and make sure both knees are touching. I'm not sure why that's so important. And I guess God can't answer prayers without your knees touching this paper facsimile of a rug. Sorry, there goes my sarcasm again. But in things like this, there's you know just there's just so much manipulation and preying on P-R-E-Y-I-N-G. Uh, people's lack of intimacy with God, and just this fear of missing out on God's blessing. Or people wonder, you know, if, what if I don't do that? You know, what if I don't do what they say and tear it up and don't get it back? 
And then within 24 hours, which is one of the things that says, will God be mad at me? Will God curse me? And, you know, it's just, it's just crazy what people really buy into and, and believe. There's a lot more in these letters. I won't go into everything, but there are statements and pleadings in this, as well as warnings. You must return this, and you must do this, and you must do that. You know, as if God answers our prayers based on specific actions we take or do, or the lack of those. Answered prayer is not a quid pro quo with our Father. And I mean, a lot of it is a mystery, but it's not to get what we want, like the great cosmic genie or the heavenly Santa Claus. Prayer is something that God uses to get us aligned with Him and His purposes. And it's something that God allows us to enter into with Him and invites us into. Again, it's this invitation to learn His heart for our lives and others' lives. You don't need an anointed piece of paper or rug or hanky to make these those things happen. And it puzzles me that people actually fall for this stuff, but, you know, they do, and it it's sad. There was a televangelist back in the day that had his miracle hanky. I mentioned a hanky earlier. And people would pay like $20 or so for this miracle hanky because it was, you know, supposedly blessed by the Lord. And, and then it built up this guy's ministry and, you know, in his platform. And within this there's also a lot of misuse of scripture uh, that was came with this letter with this angel medallion, which just just frustrates me, makes me shake shake my head. So one of those used is if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. It's from John thirteen seventeen. Remember when I talked about pulling verses out of context? So this is a perfect perfect example of that. It implies that if you follow the instructions in this letter, then you will be blessed, and that is backed up by scripture. That's not what that scripture is talking about, though. It's not talking about a prayer rug. It's not talking about an angel medallion. You know, that it's um, just a little bit ludicrous. But again, people fall for it because they look at that and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, there's scripture there. It must be, it must be true. It must be right. Now, do I believe God answers prayer? Absolutely. But I also know that you don't need a prayer rug or an angel medallion. You don't even need the correct words or, and listen here, enough, you don't even need enough faith for him to answer your prayer. God answers prayers out of his goodness and his mercy, not because we say the right words, do the right tasks, or even believe hard enough, you know, or by having enough faith. Scripture tells us that faith the size of a mustard seed is enough for God to move. And that means you don't have to muster up your faith in order for God to move. And if we pray to God and we're praying for a particular outcome that we already have in mind, here's a question. Is that really trusting him with the situation? Am I against praying for a particular outcome such you know, such as someone getting healed. No, absolutely not. In fact, God healed me of an injury when I was in college. So I'm very glad, very thankful that a friend of mine and I were praying for healing. But it wasn't an instant healing. I mean, it happened over time. God used both physical therapy and doctors to get me back on track. But I'm still thankful, and I'm not against praying for particular outcomes. But at the same time, we have to be open to God moving in a different way, even when we pray for those outcomes. And I don't believe there's anything wrong you know, with praying for a new job, um, you know, or certain things. But we also have to factor in God's timing and have the attitude of learning and listening to what God may want for us now in the meantime. What does he have to show me and teach me in my current job while I may be praying for another one, if that's even his will? How can I be focused on following the nudges I feel why now while still remaining open and expectant of what he might have for me down the road? And I think we can get into a little bit of danger there, too, when we're looking at the future. Because we don't know. We don't know where God is leading us. And as we follow really just one step at a time, then we're really trusting God to lead us eventually to, to where he has, you know, what he has for us down the road. 
And I'm not a fan of the whole name it and claim it prayer life because, again, I already have the answer to my prayer in mind. You know, maybe God wants something different, and I can't see it yet, except by waiting and trusting and continuing to pray. So one way to pray might be, Father, what do you have for me today? What am I not seeing? My heart desires X, this, but only if that's your desire. If there's something I'm missing or if your path is different, please show me that. I mean, I think that's a good to, a good prayer to pray at any time. So the other aspect of prayer that I'm learning is not only trusting in God and being open to whatever outcome he desires, you know, not just praying for the outcome that I want, whatever it may be, but there's also a sense of leaning into God's provision in everything that I, that I do and have. And this is something that God continues to work out in me. This has been a long process, in fact. And there have been times that I've seen God provide for us many times, times that I wonder how I can see additional ways in which God both is providing for us and desires to provide for my family and me. And this is particularly challenging because I have typically equated God's provision in the past with the idea that it's an all-or-nothing prospect. It's a binary. It's either this or, you know, it's either 100% or it's nothing. Meaning that if I'm trusting God 100%, he will provide 100% of our income to live on. Now, I know he can do that if that's how he's called me. However, from, you know, just advice from friends and mentors, I'm coming to realize that there are countless ways that God provides. Some of that is gifting me with certain talents and abilities I used to work a job and bring in an income. This doesn't have to be a this or that binary. I can see ways that God has provided for my family and have had it, you know, have a job since I left my days or my job as a pastor. I think it can be hard coming out of full-time vocational ministry and feeling like God is providing in the way of a quote-unquote normal career. And I've learned to really see that, you know, everything is spiritual and there's no divide between the secular and sacred. So there were times when I really struggled with that, even though my idea of ministry had shifted by that point to see it encompassing way more than just a full-time pastoral job. But by the time I left a full-time ministry job, I was beginning to see and be okay with the idea that we're all ministers in some way, in the way we approach each day and each encounter with people around us. It's very, very similar, actually, to how I see prayer. You know, I used to wonder what the verse in Thessalonians meant that talked about praying without ceasing. I've come to learn that it's an attitude of openness between you and Father that's just open all the time. If prayer is meant to be a two-way street, which I totally believe it is, then this kind of prayer as a conversation where you're always keeping the line open for two-way communications is the reality. When I was a kid, I used to have these walkie-talkies. You know, walkie-talkies only work if you have two of them. You have one and you give one to someone else. You know, if you leave them on, then you can communicate at any time with the person on the other end of the walkie-talkie. And it's similar to that with God. Prayer is the ability for you to communicate anytime with God and for Him to also communicate anytime with you through a nudge, a sense, a feeling. It can even be a song on the radio or a line in a book or even a movie. And shocker, they don't ha- even have to be a Christian book or movie gasp for God to use them or speak through them. And here's a big question that you may be wondering. So why doesn't God answer all of our prayers? Why doesn't he heal more? Or why don't we see things happen like happened in the book of Acts or in the Gospels? And I think that's a great question. And I have a few thoughts. You know, this is my understanding. Think of it right now. So one, um, I don't want to say this, not because of your lack of faith or what you're doing or not doing. We've already talked about that. If that were true, then we're, we're really controlling God and, ans- and we're really controlling the answer to prayers. 
those depend on us then, which we know that doesn't. But my understanding of why God doesn't always answer prayer, and again, it's a very limited understanding. I'm going to admit that. One, it might not be the right timing. There have been seasons of my life where I've prayed that God would change my situation for a new job or any job at some point in my life, even praying for ministry jobs. There have been a number of times I've prayed for specific things and have seen answers to prayer for just the thing I prayed for, you know, at that time. But there have also been times that I've prayed for things, and they've come about months or sometimes years later. And two, it's not the right prayer. And by that, I mean that there are times when God says no to the prayer that you're praying. And we can't always understand why, but again, as we learn that prayer is more about trusting God than getting the answer that I want, I think this is going to get easier. And then three, we might be praying against someone's free will. So there are prayers we've, we pray, and I've prayed them, where what you're praying will change the decision or direction of the person you're praying for. I think God can and does speak to people, but ultimately doesn't force them to do anything. So, for example, if I'm praying a prayer that Mike will come to his senses and not divorce his wife and leave his wife and his family, you know, that's a good prayer, but Mike has to come to that decision on his own. So there are ways that God might speak to him or try to speak to him, but if Mike is unwilling to listen and his heart is hardened against both his wife and his family and God, which depending on the circumstances he may very well be, then the chances of that prayer getting answered are pretty slim in my opinion. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying that, and we think, you know, that's a good thing to pray for. But just that expectation of that prayer to be answered, I think sometimes people get a little bit overzealous. And then three or four, um, you know, I, I have no idea why God doesn't answer certain prayers. You know, I'm not, I don't know why God doesn't answer some prayers for healing or prayers of reconciliation, you know, like that one with, you know, with families and, and different things, different situations. And I'm not going to begin to attempt an explanation here because that's a question I still have and a question I still ask of God at times. But I'm beginning to learn to really trust Him more in that process. I wonder, too, when we pass to the other side of this life, if we'll understand more the answers to some of these questions, and I, I hope so. And one, one last thought on a prayer, that I believe there are also times where prayer isn't the answer, or rather... Actually, we are the answer to the prayer we're asking God to answer. And what I mean by that is that sometimes if someone is, you know, maybe somebody's going through a rough patch or a family tragedy, we'll often say, I'm, I'm praying for you. And sometimes it's an easy out because we don't know what to say or do. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to offer to pray for people. But sometimes the best thing to do is to call that person and check in or go over to their house and be willing to sit in an uncomfortable silence. That's something I like to call the ministry of presence. It's easy, it's easy to say in, for a lot of things that I'll pray about that. A lot of times that means, you know, I'm not really going to do anything, but it sounds spiritual to say it. So we kind of say, you know, we say that, leave it at that. And I think it's, you know, we say that out of a good, good intention. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here, but I do want to challenge us to think through what God may want to do or say through us in those moments. Instead of just using the easy one-liner, you know, I'll pray, I'm, I'm praying for you. You know, it might be time to pause and listen and ask God what he would want that person to hear or what he might be asking me to do in that situation. Bring someone flowers or a meal, go and take a funny card or a serious one. You know, this kind of 
thing can be con- contagious. Years ago, when my children were little, we were involved in some apartment ministry, and it was one that we had chosen to adopt as a family, an apartment complex over on the east side of town. And on Mother's Day one Sunday, we were sitting um, in a church service, and I just had this thought. It, just, it seemed to be a really random thought about flowers and the moms in the apartment complex. And I just wondered, how many moms really get flowers on Mother's Day there? It was just one of those nudges that I felt. It was a low-income low apartment complex. And so after we left, I told my wife, my idea, you know, this question that I had and the thought that I had, what if we went and bought a bunch of roses and just handed them out to the moms in the, in the apartment complex? So that's what we did. We took our kids, went to the apartment complex. We just went door to door until we ran out of flowers. I remember my kids, they started really getting into it too. And then they started asking if they could hand out the, the flower, the rose. So we just hand them a flower and tell them Jesus loves them. Then we put a little scripture on a card um, attached to the flower. You know, it was, and it was fun to see people's reactions. Most of it, most of it was utter shock, and they, but they were really grateful. I remember one guy running at, after me. I gave him one, and then he was asking me if, if he could have another one for his mom. I think he had one for his mom, one for his girlfriend, and that was fine. You know, I was like, yeah, sure. We had several ask, these are free? Yeah, you know, and I was like, yeah, they're free. And one young lady asked why we were doing this, and I just told her, I think if I remember right, you know, because we love Jesus, we want you to know that he loves you too. And that was it. So any of us at any moment can be an answer to prayer. Who knows what people were praying in the, um, the apartment complex that day. They probably weren't, probably weren't paying or praying for someone to hand them a rose, but I'm sure some were praying about their job, their family, their kids. Maybe even for God to show himself. Some may have even been ready to give up on God. I don't know. And there comes these people, these crazy people with roses. And again, I don't know exactly what they were praying or even if they were, but regardless of, you know, a lot of times what people pray, God can still use us to be an answer. Maybe to a prayer they didn't even realize they were praying or needed to pray. And that, my friends, is one sweet adventure. Well, that's all for this week. Grace and peace. And may you find a new way to pray with God this week as you continue your journey. 